Well, good morning. Uh, we've been reading through the Gospels uh, together this fall. In the last few weeks, we've been looking specifically at some of Jesus' teachings, the life-giving words that he gives people like you and me. As Pastor Aaron mentioned in the last few weeks, there was a time in the life of Jesus where folks were being unsettled and angry at Jesus and his teachings. And so Jesus looked to his disciples and asked them if they wanted to abandon him as well. And Simon Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What a great truth to believe. Whom shall we go for hope and salvation? Jesus offers us the words of eternal life that we all need. And I love that it is Peter who says these great words of truth. I love how so often Peter will say an amazing thing of truth and then put his foot in his mouth right afterwards. I love how Peter will show great faith and understanding and then he comes across clueless about who Jesus is and what he came to do. I love Peter because I can sure relate to him. And I love that one of the reasons that we get this parable that I'm about to read is because Peter once again says something to Jesus that I'm confident many of us in this room would have said as well if we were there. Just before this parable, Jesus uh, was talking to a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked, what must he do to get eternal life? And Jesus and him have this discussion about faith and morality. And in love, Jesus tells this man to sell all he has, to give to the poor, and come follow him. The man is crushed and he leaves very sad. Jesus then talks about the danger of wealth and living for yourself more than God. And then Peter compares himself to this rich young man. And he says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What then will we have? Peter is basically asking, what about us? What do we get because we left everything to follow you? Peter wants to get paid. He wants to know that it's worth it, that he's left everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus actually responds and talks about how there are benefits to following him. Peter must have been happy about that. And then Jesus drops this line that I'm sure Peter did not want to hear. Yes, Peter, Jesus said, rewards will come, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. He gives the disciples this truth, and then he tells them this story that I'm about to read. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. I'll read it for us. You can follow along in your Bible or order of worship. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And so to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Well, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired in the eleventh hour came, they each received a denarius. Now when those who were hired first kept the game, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. 
saying the last works only for an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit that meets us through your word to point us to Jesus and to point us to those things we need to know about you, about ourselves, and about the grace that you offer. May we hear the words we need to hear from your spirit because of your son, Jesus. In your name, amen. So many years ago now, uh, my family was taken to Disney World and Universal Studios. We had an amazing time. Uh, my three oldest and myself, probably the highlight was going to Universal Studios to the Harry Potter world. And it was an awesome experience. And since we were already in Universal Studios, I tried to convince my kids to go on a few other rides with me while we were there. So we were walking through the park and I saw a ride called the Jurassic Park Ride. It's a water-based ride based on the 1993 film Jurassic Park. Now at this point in my kids' life, they were not into scary rides or roller coasters. I knew nothing about this ride, but I said to my kids, it'll be fun. It'll be like a lazy river ride, I'm sure, and maybe an occasional jump scares from the fake dinosaurs. So we got onto the ride, and the first ride is actually pretty relaxing and smooth. You get to see up close some dinosaurs, and you know, there is the occasional jump out scare. But then the ride enters into this building, and our car starts going up this deep incline. It's dark in that room, and we keep going up and up and up. I hear my kids say, Dad? (laughs) And I was like, it is going to be okay. I was lying. I did not think it was going to be okay. I didn't know what to expect, but it did not look good. Well, we got to the top of that incline, and there's this giant T-Rex, and it blows fake hot air on us. And to the right is an 85-foot drop. We hit that drop, and all I can think about is my kids will never trust me again. They probably will never talk to me again. I promised them this fun, lazy river, and instead they got to experience their first giant drop ever. This was not what any of us expected. I was thinking about that story in regards to this unexpected story Jesus tells the disciples here that I just read. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus tells these stories, these parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like, and they are so unexpected to the listeners. I mean, just think about what Peter is expecting, what the disciples are expecting. Peter wants to get what he thinks is his due when he gets to the kingdom. Peter, like some of us, might believe that the more we put into God's plan, the more we put into God's kingdom, the more we will get back. And Jesus again and again explains what the kingdom of heaven is like, how God works, and what his rule and reign looks like, and it is often different than what we expect. This is an unexpected story we get to look at briefly today. And I have to tell you, if I am honest, I have never really liked this story at all. I would agree with Peter, who I'm sure would have said the payment given out is unfair. 
And I have often put myself in this story as one of the people that perhaps deserves a little bit more. And so whenever I read this story, whenever I hear this story, I'm first reminded of my pride, and I need to repent of that. And maybe today, this will be a chance as we go through the story for you to think about your pride or your self-centeredness or your expectations that are off. But I got to tell you, what struck me as I was preparing for the sermon this week is I really don't think up to this point I've ever fully understand what this story is all about. I've always thought about this story being all about grace, which it is. I've always thought the story is about Jesus challenging us on what we think is fair or not fair when it comes to God, and it definitely is. But it wasn't until this week that I realized how important the first line that Jesus says that matters the most to us. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. More than the workers in this story, more than who gets paid and is it fair or unfair, the key to this whole story is the master of the house. To know him is to know what the kingdom of heaven is like. I mean, the master is the one that visits the marketplace and brings the workers into his vineyard. The master is the one who keeps going back to the marketplace to get more employees. The master is the one who tells his foreman to pay the workers, and he is the one who addresses the laborers at the end who thought they were wronged. It is all about the master of this house, and this master is all about what the kingdom of heaven is like. So I have loved reflecting upon this master this week to help me appreciate and give thanksgiving for all that God gives us in his kingdom. For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. The vineyard needs workers, and so the master heads out probably at 6 a.m. to hire workers for the day. Looking for workers in the morning is perhaps something you have seen in our very city. Perhaps there's been a time you have been at a Home Depot early in the morning and you see a bunch of people standing around hoping a contractor will come and hire them for the day. This is who the master is looking for in this story. The folks he is hiring do not have steady jobs. It's not like they're fishermen or they work in the market all day, every day. They are day laborers. They are total dependent upon getting a job for the day in order to eat, in order to live, in order to care for their families. So this master finds these workers and offers them a day's wage of a denarius for their work from probably 6 a.m. to around 6 p.m. And so far, nothing is surprising about this story up to this point. But then the master goes out and he hires more workers at 9 a.m., then at noon, then at 3 Now, this would seem kind of confusing. The more the master keeps going out back and forth to hire workers, the more it looks like he's either incompetent or inefficient as a boss. I mean, it seems like he hasn't planned or understood the scope of his need, and so he keeps having to go to try to correct his error. Or perhaps all that he cared about was hiring as many folks as he could for his vineyard. It seems like this master wants his vineyard full of workers and he doesn't care how much it costs him or how it makes him look incompetent and inefficient. I think this is true because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. God has gone out and God continues to go out looking for more and more people to join his kingdom. So what do we want to know what the kingdom of heaven looks like? It looks like our God not caring how much it costs him to bring people into his kingdom. 
And if this story isn't crazy enough, we read the master goes out one hour before quitting time to hire the folks that no one wanted, the folks that couldn't get work during the day. Now, who knows why these folks were not hired by someone else? Maybe they weren't good workers. Maybe they were lazy. Maybe they're untrustworthy. We don't know why no work was offered to them. But here's what we do know. It's the end of the day, and if nothing happened, they would go home hungry. They would go home discouraged. They would go home desperate. But the master hires them all. He welcomes the 6 a.m. workers who got up the crack of dawn to put in a day's work. And he offers the 5 p.m. workers work that no one wanted. Even before we get into the subject of the wages and who gets paid what, we see the generosity of the master here. From the 6 a.m. workers to the 5 p.m. workers, they, none of them would have had work had he not gone out and found them and hired them. All of them were dependent upon the master to come take them to his vineyard for work. The kingdom of heaven is like a master who goes out looking for all types of people. I mean, think about what that means for us today. Think about what this tells you about our God. God wants you. God wants you. He looks out for you. He wants you in his vineyard, working. He goes out and finds you and brings you in. And whether you think you're the early riser in this story, or you think you're the last person to get into the story, all of you are wanted by God. And maybe that's all you need to hear today. Maybe for you, you're struggling to believe that anyone could accept you, anyone could want you, anyone could love you. Maybe you're in a season of your life where you're feeling deep shame for what you've done or who you think you are. Maybe right now you are just struggling to believe that God would want anything to do with you. And maybe all you need to remember today from this sermon is God wants you in his kingdom as much as he wants those people that you think are better than you. God wants you as much as he wants those people you think are more valuable for God in his kingdom. God wants the 5 p.m. workers just as much as he wants the 6 a.m. workers. God's generosity is amazing and it transcends this human idea of fairness. (laughs) Because what we get to see next is that no one receives less than they deserve, but the master does offer more to some. We read these words, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And remember, I said this is how the story begins. Just before what I read, Jesus talks about the last and the first. And our story ends with these words about the last will be first. So it makes sense in the story, the last people hired are the ones to get paid first. But he also pays the last workers first in order so that the first workers can see that they're all getting paid the same wages. See, the 6 a.m. workers wouldn't have noticed if they got paid first and left. The master of this story wants everyone to see the generosity that he provides. And so the late workers are blown away by the generosity and feel humbled by it. But the first workers are also challenged with their heart and what they see and believe about their master. I love what theologian Stanley Hauerwas says about this. He writes, God's grace is the grace of truth, refusing to hide from us the character of our envy of those we think are undeserving. 
God's grace can reveal in your heart and my heart our envy and our resentment that we think we're better than others. For some of you, maybe today, the grace of truth is offered to you to help you examine what you think about God and how he thinks about you and other people around you. Maybe, like me, you at times think God owes you more and should give you more. Maybe you think God is stingy with his blessings because you feel like you're working really, really hard. You're very disciplined. You come to church all the time. You read your Bible. You do all this, and it feels like other people get more, and they don't put in the work. Maybe you resent when you see other people that look like they have it all together, and you don't know why. And maybe you find yourself grumbling at what you perceive as unfair about God and his kingdom. Because this attitude of resentment is sadly how often followers of Jesus respond. Often we think God has shortchanged us. Maybe he's been a little too harsh with us. Maybe he's been unfair to us. And so like the first workers in verse 11, we start grumbling that we're being treated unfairly. Now what the point of the story is that no one in this story is treated unfairly. The master of the house responds to the claims of them being unfair because they didn't get paid or they all got paid the same by saying, friend, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree for Daenerys? See, the first workers, they forgot that they didn't get into that vineyard based on their own merit. The first workers forgot that they were standing out in the cold at 6 a.m. desperate for work. The first workers forgot how dependent they were for someone to come along and offer them a job. All the workers in the story, including the ones who worked all day and the ones who only worked one hour, are more dependent upon the master than he is on them. And the master himself is actually the one who loses something. It would have been better for him to pay everyone the same. It makes sense to pay people what they have put in. But that's not the point of the story. (laughs) The point of the story is like the rest of Scripture about God's kingdom and God's grace, that he is sovereign and he is just and he is generous and every good gift that comes from the Father above is a gift of grace. As the New Testament reading that Andy read for us says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. This works for wages mentality we can find ourselves trapped in when it comes to our relationships with God is dangerous and inaccurate. It is wrong to think that God has to be convinced into blessing us. And if we live like we have to earn God's favor, it will cause us to be bitter and exhausted people. If we think and we live like God is begrudging in the way he blesses us, cares for us, and loves us, we will become bitter and angry people. And if we think God is more generous with others than us, we will find ourselves full of of jealousy and envy. The master of the story confronts the grumbling workers and perhaps some of the grumbling in our hearts today with these two good questions at the end. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Have I not already demonstrated goodness and kindness to you all? Did I not give you the work I promised you needed desperately and I paid you what you agreed to? The answer is yes. And yet the ones who think they deserve more respond in envy and greed. They resent the kind of generosity that the master shows. 
The word begrudge here literally means having a bad eye. It's the biblical in- imagery of, of, stingy, of, of stinginess, jealousy. The first workers wanted to be first, and when the last were treated like the first, they couldn't stand it. Their pride, their self-righteous, their envy got the best of them. And so they grumbled, and they complained, it's not fair. You know, the only ground that these workers had to complain is that he's too generous. They can't accuse him of injustice. He gave them what he promised. They can't accuse him of spending money that's theirs. He's spending his own money. The only thing they can accuse him of is being too generous. So how do we make sure we are not like these grumbling, jealous people in this story? How do we take this unexpected way the master treats everyone and apply it to our lives? Well, back to the opening story with my kids. The drop on the ride was definitely scary and unexpected. My kids screamed and screamed and screamed as we went down the 85-foot drop. The ride ended and I waited for the yells of anger at me for making them go on that ride. And this is what I heard. Dad, that was awesome. Dad, can we do it again? (laughs) My kids experienced joy and excitement of a ride they never thought they would enjoy. And it made them want to keep going back on that ride. The more we experience the joy and the amazement and the excitement of God's generosity in our lives, the more we're going to want to keep going back to that amazing grace offered to us. The more we repent of our jealousy and of our pride and see the open arms of the master bringing us into his vineyard with forgiveness and life, the more we will respond in gratitude and celebration. The more we realize and believe how amazing the kingdom of God is, the more we will start actually looking like this vineyard worker in our lives. We will become more generous people. We will pursue others more than just pursuing our own needs. We will give to others more than we will be stingy. We will be generous with our time and with our resources and with opening up our homes and our lives to others. We will get to celebrate that we are workers in the vineyard together and we can bring other people in to join in the work. As we celebrate the generous gift of grace offered to us in the kingdom of heaven, it will propel us to generosity and gratitude and work in for the kingdom and for our King Jesus. The New Testament passage in Ephesians that was read for us and I've already quoted for us in the sermon does talk about the amazing grace offered to us. And then it tells us what this grace provides for us. We are Christ's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before him that we should live in. The truth of the gospel and life in this kingdom is so good for us to believe and live in, and it will propel us to go out and serve and love others as workers in the vineyard. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that you know us and you see us and you love us and that you provide what we need, that you give us the grace and you prepare for us things that we get to do and the power to do it. And you strengthen us through your word. You strengthen us through this meal that we're about to take. You strengthen us through this chance to be together and worship you. And may that help us be reminded of your love and of your kingdom of grace and of how you view us and this world around us. In your name, amen.